It's the Listen Up Milwaukee podcast. Welcome to the blog. Uh, I am your host, Steve Italiano, and this is the Listen Up Milwaukee podcast. Um, Again, our normal housekeeping, uh, if you wish to contact us, uh, you can contact us at listenupmke at yahoo.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at the uh, Listen Up Milwaukee um, Facebook page. Um, If you are listening to us, um, you are listening to us in a couple different ways, but um, our podcast server, our podcast host is... Uh, listenupmke.podbean.com on the Podbean website and podcast hosting. Um, or you can pick us up through the I- through iTunes. Um, just go to the iTunes store, uh, podcasting. Uh, we are a free podcast. And you can uh, just search listen up, M- uh, listen up MKE, all separate words, and you should be able to find us. If you find us on iTunes, please rate us and uh, give us a positive rating. That'll just help people find us quicker and easier for the future. So, with that out of the way, uh, I'd like to introduce uh, this episode. Um, we are recording it in February, and February is Black History Month. So today we'll be talking with um, Mr. Henry Hamilton III. Uh, good morning, Henry. Good morning. Uh, glad to have you aboard. Now, Henry, you are uh, a resident of Milwaukee. You've been a lifelong resident of Milwaukee, correct? Milwaukee County, correct. Milwaukee yeah. County, okay. Oh, that's right. We grew up in the Burbs. I yeah. forgot. <laughs> uh, Henry and I uh, attended high school together and have been friends for quite a while. Yeah. Um, Henry is a uh, an attorney. Uh, he is a graduate of Drake University and Drake Law School uh, in Iowa. And um, currently, you are an, admi- an administrative judge uh, for the uh, for the federal government, working for the EEOC here in Milwaukee, correct? That is correct. All right. Married father of two, raising two yeah. children in the county? Yes, yes. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, so welcome. Good morning. Well, thank you, Stephen. Thanks for having me on uh, Listen Up Milwaukee. I just want to um, say that, you know, of course, we, we've had a long friendship, but I'm just uh, just uh, excited that you've taken up this endeavor uh, to have this uh, podcast and also that you've invited me on to uh, talk about uh, Black History Month. just want to... Well, Start great. by saying that. Oh, well, you're welcome. Thanks for coming aboard. It's uh, um, forgot to do that, but <laughs> um, welcome aboard. Yeah, and again, it's February, and we're kind of in the middle of the month when we're recording this, so uh, we're a little bit delayed. But we had a f- just scheduling issues trying to put this together, and uh, um, so we're going to try and talk some Black history here in Milwaukee, Milwaukee County. Great this morning. Great. So um, I'll let you lead off. Okay, well, first let me uh, just give some background about uh, Black History Month, uh, uh, the beginnings, um, and how we got there. Uh, Black History Month actually started, well, the... And the origins? Yeah, the uh, the thought of a, of a black, of a, a dedicated time to study black history started actually in 1926 as some African-American leaders decided that they needed, uh, felt a need to educate 
uh, children, uh, primarily African-American children, about their uh, history. You, um, we're all familiar with the uh, history of African-Americans in this country, and so in the uh, early part of the 1900s, you know, the history books, you know, really didn't do a, uh, a really good job of documenting the uh, contributions that African-Americans had made to the countries or even contributions that other, um, you know, racial and ethnic groups had made to uh, this, this great country. And so in uh, 1926, the black leaders got together and decided to have a, uh, it's called Negro History Week. It was the uh, second week of February, and the second week of February was chosen um, to honor the birthdays of uh, President Abraham Lincoln and uh, Frederick Douglass. And it was a one week long for to emphasize uh, black history. That went on for about uh, 50 years, and then in 1976, uh, you know, the nation's uh, bicentennial, um, it became what we now know today as a month-long uh, celebration or study of black history, the uh, black, the African-American History uh, Month. And that was um, Gerald Ford. Yes, yes, absolutely. Gerald Ford, President Ford pronounced that. Absolutely. Um, as a study, because uh, yeah, prior to this, and I'm looking at your, your uh, looking at our notes and stuff, and we kind of talked on this briefly off the air. Um, they always say history is written by the victors. Sure, sure, <laughs> um, sure. And and not that it's a win lose situation, but it's it's uh, it's interesting how and you know, we talk about and having in a middle class white middle class upbringing mm-hmm. and education um you learn about key points or key individuals um in 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 black history sure um and you'd swear there were only five african americans <laughs> that ever contributed to the country sure um which it can be frustrating, but in the same breath as you touched on, it's just not African Americans. It's it's all ethnic groups. Mm-hmm. I mean, you study, and I try to put this in perspective for myself, okay. um, using my my background, my my ethnicity, and again, the same education. I think you got pretty much the same education I got, yeah. um, but you learn about. You'd swear to God, Thomas Edison invented everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure, sure. And, and you never heard sure. of Marconi. You know, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you heard about Louis Pasteur, and all he did was, you know, you know, so we can drink milk off the milk you know, <laughs> yeah. shelf two days yeah. past the expiration date. Yeah. Um, you don't learn about all the great contributions of all the, you know, um, outside of the borders of this country. Absolutely. And I think the nice thing about the the benefit to Black History Month is that these things all happen here in this country. This is American history. Yes. yes. It's just not Black history. It's part of. All of us. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. African um, American history is American history, but you know, just like we talked about uh, other ethnic groups, you know, it's kind of hard to place um, all the histories into a history book or into a history curriculum. So, you know, this was just a idea where we could emphasize the contributions that uh, African Americans have made to our country, and personally, you know. 
you know, don't want to get into battle about which uh, ethnic group made the most contributions or which ethnic group made the least contributions. The bottom line is, had it not been for all of our contributions, we just wouldn't be the uh, great country that we are. And so this is just a time to uh, highlight some of the contributions uh, made by African Americans. And and what's interesting is several years ago, I studied on a uh, task force with some uh, teachers of Milwaukee Public Schools that even today, um, some of the textbooks have neglected, you know, African Americans and the and some of the books in the Milwaukee Public Schools as well as Latino contributions. And we worked with a task force to um, see how to implement some of the textbooks. Most of the textbooks are primarily written by, I think, four large textbooks companies, m- mainly located in Texas. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit of a slant there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so um, even today, some of the um, you know, limitations of presenting a a balanced approach to America's history are still present. And so um, months like this uh, help to uh, give a proper perspective of the country's progress. Well, how did now, um, you know, we talk about this country uh, being built primarily initially um, on free labor. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, if we were to talk about slavery, yeah. um, and I, I guess you know, being that we're we're trying to be Milwaukee centric, yeah, you know, our history, uh, local history, um, where where does that start? Where where does where does African Americans start to play a part in the history of Wisconsin and particularly Milwaukee? Yeah, okay. The the first African Americans in Wisconsin were uh, believed to be uh, those individuals that accompanied the uh, fur traders in the uh, 1700s. You know, uh, mostly slave, uh, some some free uh, a- people of African-American descent. And um, in the uh, 1800s, you know, you had more African-Americans come as people were settling, uh, you know, the territory for uh, mining and whatnot. And in Milwaukee, uh, research the uh, Joe Oliver is believed to be the uh, first African American resident in what is now known as Milwaukee. In uh, 1835, he was employed as a cook and accompanied Solomon Juno, who, of course, was a a French Canadian fur trader and a politician, by the way. He later became the uh, first mayor of Milwaukee. Well, Oliver was a cook. and uh, accompany that group. Okay, so he was um, a resident of, well, at that time, Juno Town. We were celebrating the 165th birthday. Is it or uh, maybe uh, of of Milwaukee? Yeah. And isn't that awful? Yeah, we're talking history, and we don't have the yeah. right facts. But um, and you know, and Milwaukee originally was three settlements that sure. you know were combined to one. So it looks like he would be, have been a resident originally of Juno Town. Okay, and then. Uh, when incorporated into the city of Milwaukee, um, when the three, uh, Juno Town, Kilburn Town, and Walker's Point um, merged okay. to become the city of Milwaukee as we know it now. All right. Um, so he would have been the uh, the first official registered resident uh, of African-American descent? Or? Yeah, yeah. my research uh, shows him, um, uh, most resources have him down as being the uh, first uh, African-American resident uh, in Milwaukee. Yep. And... 1835. And then the uh, first uh, family, you know, 
Uh, we have an 1850 uh, or so, uh, Sully Watson and his wife, uh, Susanna Watson, uh, moved here around the area of, you know, downtown East Mason Street. And they lived there, and then pretty soon some other uh, family members came in. I know a son, a daughter, and the uh, son's uh, wife, and all in that area down there. So, so, so they're really uh, given the title of uh, uh, Milwaukee's first African-American family. And do you know where they where they came from? Were they? Oh, um, <laughs> not off the top okay. of my head. I believe uh, I want to say Tennessee, but let me see if I can check a source quickly here. Yes, yeah, see, I'll have to get. I'll have oh, to get here back. Here, I got it. I got it. Okay. Um, he actually uh, bought himself out of slavery. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Um, which uh, is interesting. I'm uh, just pulling up a, an image of him. Um, yeah, he was one of the earliest uh, settlers. <laughs> yes. And, and this is where I guess I don't have this perspective, and this this makes me, you know, treating human beings, we, we don't have that perspective in this day and age, okay. treating human beings as property. But um, – yeah, he bought himself out of uh, slavery from Tennessee for five hundred dollars. Yes, that was yes. the price of uh, admission. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I would imagine that once he came to Milwaukee and um, he purchased, it looks like he purchased uh, his family out of slavery as he came to Milwaukee mm-hmm. and worked, and little by little they regained the family unit. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, so, and. Uh, I, like I said, just it blows my mind when I read stuff like that because it's it's so. I, is it foreign to, to you? Is, it's foreign to me that when I think about that, you know, we talk slavery and and it seems almost slavery or ownership of of human beings, mm-hmm. and it's almost like it's it's very surreal because you, you don't think of it as all right. Okay, this table we're sitting at, this is my table. So sure. if somebody came in and took my table, or if my table got up and walked out, yeah. you know, I'd go after it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and and it's it's just it's just foreign that you could own a human being. That's why. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and it was foreign to people here also because, as you know, the, the Wisconsin Territory was was a free territory. You know, uh, slavery did not exist, but for the uh, slaves being um, uh, brought here, and actually there was a, a pretty. Um, a strong abolitionist uh, movement uh, present in Wisconsin at the time of, um, you know, at the time that the uh, state was founded, at the time Milwaukee was coming to. Well, it was a big destination for the, um, it was almost like a major stopping point, I think, on the um, Underground Railroad. On the Underground Railroad. Absolutely, absolutely. And, um, and I know you've got yeah. some notes. We'll be talking about this in a little bit. But yeah. when, when the Fugitive Slave Act was enacted, mm-hmm. um, it looks like Milwaukee was a major stopping point uh, for people yes. to get to Canada where that law would that, apply to them. They could ab- not be sought across, obviously, international lines. Absolutely, absolutely. Because uh, people were pursued oh. into free territory. Yes, uh, yes. Um, after that, that law, federal law, which, again, still... <laughs> <laughs> Makes you scratch your head, but sure, everything sure. that goes on in government shouldn't surprise us anymore. Yeah, um, yeah. In fact, uh, there's two well-known uh, cases in the Milwaukee area. Uh, one is the case of uh, Carolyn Quarles in uh, 1842. Well, she was a 16-year-old, a slave that had escaped from the St. Louis area. 
uh, made her way up to uh, Alton, Illinois, and then in Milwaukee, where she uh, happened to meet a uh, African American uh, barber who was actually a former slave himself, and and sought his uh, help in um, escaping. And yeah, you know, he he you know he did what he could. He did what he could, but really, um, a lot of help came from the uh, local citizens, and particularly uh, two attorneys. Um, attorneys uh, Lind and uh, Finch, who were actually the founders of present-day Foley and Lartner Law Firm downtown, really provided her assistance and some resources to, uh, you know, make her way to Canada, you know, via Pewaukee and some other places in Wisconsin. And it's a well-written history, and I encourage people to, you know, um, look up that case. And, and that was in 1842 that we were uh, helping uh, individuals escape escape slavery and escape to uh, Canada. And then, in, like you said, in 1850, the Fugitive Slave Act was uh, passed. And for those who aren't familiar, the act declared that uh, all runaway slaves had to be returned to their owners, even if they had fled to uh, free states such as, uh, you know, Wisconsin. Now, one thing you talk about, uh, Caroline Quarles, um, <coughs> pardon me, um, she she did author a book about her experience. Yes. And uh, just another piece of Milwaukee here. Um, as part of Black History Month, the uh, Children's First Stage Theater um, adapted that. I heard about it, that. Into a yeah. play uh, called A Midnight Cry, yeah. um, which kind of, again, it's children's theater, so a little bit of sugar coating. <laughs> you mm. know, not, not the br- true brutality of everything that went on, but yeah. um, put on a very nice... Uh, kind of explain uh, the Underground Railroad. Uh, yeah. They Actually, the original play was about 12 years ago. Okay. <clears throat> was the initial, um, and then they uh, reproduced it uh, this year um, to commemorate Black History Month. The Children's First Stage right. Theater, it seems that the first play that they perform uh, that carries into February, um, <coughs> after, after the holiday season, is geared toward african-american education usually has a cool uh, african-american theme oh cool uh and this year again the midnight cry which again is a fictionalized telling of her escape to freedom okay um but i it it, it, it was very well done uh, okay an exceptional cast um it, it's a shame that at this moment in time it's it's not playing <laughs> and if yeah, you listen to yeah. this much later uh for, for people <laughs> who get a chance to see it but uh if it ever if it ever gets produced again in the area, it's definitely worth seeing. Yeah, and I, taking the kids to. Yeah, I like to. I didn't hear about it until it was already over, and so I hope the next hope they don't wait twelve years again. But yeah. I like to see it uh, at some time in the future. Right. But yeah, it touched on her escaping to Wisconsin yeah. uh, and spending time here right. uh, until she was pursued by um, as a, as a fugitive. Oh slave. yeah, yes, yeah, uh, and then her escape from Milwaukee. Yeah, to Canada, and, and she resided in Canada, and the amazing thing that is well documented, she kept in contact with some of the individuals here uh, in Milwaukee and uh, throughout Wisconsin that uh, helped her um, escape, and she eventually uh, ended up in uh, Canada and, and, and marrying in Canada and living um, you know, a nice life in Canada. Nice. And, and of course, the, uh, the second one was really interesting. This one had to do uh, with the case of uh, Joshua uh, Glover. Um, like we said, in 1850, the Fugitive Slave Act was passed. What well, Joshua Glover um, 
and about 1852, he was also a slave from Missouri, and he escaped to Racine about 1852. Well, in 1854, his uh, slave owners in Missouri got wind that he was residing in Wisconsin, and so they uh, went to district court and uh, invoked the uh, Fugitive Slave Act. So lo and behold, federal marshals capture Glover and take him to the Milwaukee uh, County Jail, which was actually called Courthouse Square, which is um, if you're familiar with uh, Cathedral Square, uh, back then there was a, a courthouse, and next to the courthouse there was a uh, jail in downtown Milwaukee, and that's where they took um, Joshua Glover. Well, um, I talked about the uh, you know abolitionist uh, feeling and sentiment in Milwaukee, so the abolitionists caught wind of this, uh, led by uh, Samuel Booth, Booth, a, a well-known uh, local ab abolitionist. And so they go to Courthouse Square and they start having uh, speeches, uh, you know, anti-slavery speeches, you know, um, anti-Fugitive Act speeches. And lo and behold, the numbers grow to about 5,000 people that are out here, you know, just outraged that these uh, federal marshals in um, working with uh, Glover's uh, slave owners from Missouri have come to Wisconsin, a free state have uh, brutally beaten this Glover, have tra uh, taken him to Milwaukee and placed him in jail and are about to return him to the uh, institution of slavery. And so th the speeches are going on and they have about 5,000 people. So someone says, well, let's just break him out. And that's what they do. They, uh, <laughs> they, they break breaking Cathedral Square. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they uh, break him out of jail and they're successful. Uh, he's successful. He ends up um, going on the Underground Railroad also and and, uh, and keeping his freedom. I'm not sure where he uh, uh, landed. I could probably, I, I believe he also uh, went to Canada. And Booth, of course, is, is arrested um, as being um, the, ling the, the ringleader of this um, jailbreak. And, and he's arrested. There's uh, trials. Um, he's released. He's rearrested. The Supreme Court gets involved. Uh, he's finally uh, pardoned in about uh, 1861. And, and at all times, you know, he um, was heard to testify that he he didn't urge anyone to uh, break into the jail and pull Glover out. But it, it's a piece of history. This uh, case um, made the national press. It, it really emboldened abolitionists all over the country uh, about what we did in Milwaukee here to uh, keep uh, Joshua Glover uh, a free person. Right. I have, uh, and some of the things that I found, and again, it's I haven't been able to verify to a T, unfortunately. Sure. Yeah. Because um, it seems uh, the joys and the pains of the internet, that's the problem. <laughs> absolutely. 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 We can, well, we can write and say anything we want, but um, in one area, it, it, um, it stated that that case, um, the uh, Wisconsin became the first state to declare the Fugitive Slave Act unconstitutional. Yes, I believe in, uh, I want to say 1855, the Wisconsin Supreme Court declared the Fugitive Slave Act unconstitutional. And refused to enforce it here in, in the state. Yes. So, um, so very progressive. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Wisconsin um, was very progressive. And, you know, so, it, you know, Wisconsin became um, available for, uh, it was pretty open arms to African Americans uh, as far as, you know, come and settle, homestead, farming. 
Yeah, yeah, you know there. You know we have a proud uh, uh, past here in Wisconsin uh, and Milwaukee. You know there's been uh, you know some battles, but overall, like I said, you know from the very beginning, um, Wisconsin was quite uh, progressive as far as accepting um, African Americans. You know as the numbers grew, you know of course there were growing pains. You know like for instance we mentioned uh, Joe Oliver, the uh, first uh, African American resident. Well, um, and, and most of America, you know, African-Americans couldn't vote. Well, well they let Joe vote. Of course, he, he was one person, but, but he voted in an election in uh, 1835 when Milwaukee was still, um, you know, a settlement or a territory. And um, probably one of the earliest African-Americans, if not the earliest African-American to vote in the uh, United States. But there's only one of them. <laughs> and so as, as the numbers grew, you I know. I he voted for Solomon Juno. <laughs> I wonder. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, this is a few years before that. But um, as the numbers grew, of course, then we became concerned about, you know, uh, African-Americans and the uh, right to vote. And um, but even there, Wisconsin was quite progressive as part of the. Um, uh, election of 1849, one of the first uh, um, elections in the state. In 1849, there was a, a referendum on the ballot whether or not the citizens of Wisconsin would allow uh, male African Americans uh, to vote. And uh, that was an 1849 um ballot in the state at this time of course you know women weren't allowed to uh, wouldn't be allowed to vote until the uh, I believe the 20th amendment was passed um, you know many many years later like yeah. 1920 okay um so it gets on the referendum should we allow african american uh males to vote in the state of wisconsin which is pretty you know groundbreaking at the time and the amendment wins about 9000 people vote on the referendum issue and the amendment wins some 5,000 votes to some 4,000 votes so the amendment wins now the problem is that there was a governor's race statewide where 31,000 people voted on the governor's race so the abolitionists say oh great we have a victory but the victory was short-lived because the uh, State Board of Election canvassers said, oh, no, 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 it's not enough to get a majority of vote on the referendum issue. You need a ma majority of all voters in that election. So you need not, not only a majority of the uh, voters on the referendum issue, you need a majority of the 31,000 people. And so what they essentially said was that every um, abstention from the referendum, they treated it as a no vote. And so the abolitionists, uh, you know, took it as a defeat and they uh, placed the, uh, the uh, referendum, a binding referendum back on the ballot in 1857 and then again in uh, 1865 and, and it fails. It, it just fails uh, each time. And so uh, Samuel Booth now is out of out of jail. <laughs> He's been out of jail about four years, but still making uh, trouble on the uh, behalf of abolitionists. And so he takes uh, Ezekiel uh, Gillespie, who was an African American uh, living in Milwaukee. He takes him in preparation for the 1965 general election. He takes him to the registration center to register to vote. 
Booth and Ezekiel Gillespie walk up there, and of course they say, no, you can't have a ballot. African Americans uh, don't have the uh, right to uh, vote in this state. And so they're turned away. Um, Undeterred, they uh, return on Election Day, November 1965 to 1865. 1865. Okay. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. I skipped ahead 100 years. <laughs> they, they, they return to the um, polling place uh, in November 1865 and they request a ballot. And this time, you know, uh, Mr. Gillespie brings with him an affidavit from uh, two residents of his ward saying that, yes, he is a resident of this ward. We know him. He's our neighbor. He's He should be allowed to vote. And is they. That, that was. I'm going to guess that was part of the standard voter registration for the time, having to be vouched for or to demonstrate you were a resident. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Right. And and even the the affidavit, you know, um, gosh, that would survive. I I think the, I think we've just gotten rid of that within the last few years, yeah. if I'm not certain. But um, don't I'll have to check into that. But so. Yeah, so, so so they're like, hey, he lives here. Why can't he have a ballot? He's turned away, and so at this point, he takes his claim to the uh, federal, to the district court in Milwaukee County, and says, hey, I tried to vote. I was turned away from my race. It's my opinion that the eighteen. 18- 49 referendum passed and was binding and that African Americans actually had the right to vote in this state since 1849. The uh, Milwaukee uh, District Court throws it out and then he appeals to the uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court and in uh, I think it's 1866 the Wisconsin Supreme Court agrees with him. And they say, yes, the uh, State Board of Elections, you know, made a mistake when they concluded that a majority of all the votes cast in the 1849 election were needed to pass a referendum. They said the only um, thing that was necessary to pass that binding referendum was a majority of the votes cast on the uh, issue of African-American suffrage. And so they ruled that African-Americans in Milwaukee had the uh, right to vote since uh, 1849. And then, of course, the 15th Amendment is passed and uh, African-American males um, across the uh, nation after the Civil War, the 15th Amendment is passed, which gave African-American males across the uh, entire United States the right to vote. So, yeah, but 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 that's right here in Wisconsin. So kind of the first test case, our own. Uh, and I, I'm. I might bring it up later, but our, our own, uh, it, it seems like there's always that one seminal moment in black history mm-hmm. where somebody's got to take a chance. Sure. And, um, and you, I mean, you, all the way through, you've got to be the first person to do it. Yeah. And I recently d- uh, listened to and read some stuff, um, again, because it's, it's all over the place this, yeah. this month, but uh, on Rosa Parks. Oh, sure, sure. And, you know, a lot of people think of, it was funny because, again, white middle-class upbringing, you think, okay, she was just a hard-working black gal who was just too tired to get up and said, you know what, this is ridiculous, I don't want to get up. Um, But it was actually something that, I don't want to call it staged, but it's something that the community at that time was looking for. They'd been looking for two years to find someone to run a test case uh, through the yeah. Supreme Court to get the 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 
um, to get that to happen. And it sounds like this was kind of that equivalent. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the, the referendum passed in 49. The abolitionists were pretty sure that they had a victory. Um, the it, uh, State Board of Elections canvassers refused to um, acknowledge it, the victory. But it takes 15 years to get it to be recognized. Yes, yes. yes. Now, yeah, 17 by the time well, that the uh, Supreme Court ruled. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which just just amazes me, you know. And, and again, we've we've seen this throughout history, though. I mean, even the early twentieth century, uh, you know, the late nineteenth century, the early twentieth century, some of the the the, the voting laws in certain oh. parts of the country. Oh, sure, you sure. know, um, sure. Which, and, and this came up during, like I said, some of my reading on uh, Rosa Parks. Mm-hmm. You know, the the craziness. Oh I mean, yeah, they, they oh, used yeah. to, yeah. Uh, you know, count the jelly beans in a jar. You know. <laughs> Which really, you know, yeah. and, and and then you stop and you say, and, and those people can vote, and we can't, you know. I, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, I, yes. That that's the crazy thing. Yeah, to me, that yeah. It's, it's uh, yeah. No, no. My mom and dad grew up in some of that, you know, and um, I remember my my grandfather uh, telling me stories about having to go to the polls and. Uh, being asked to recite the, uh, you know, the Alabama or the Mississippi Constitution, and and of course some of the poll workers, you know, the person asking you to recite it couldn't read, so you could they say anything. <laughs> <laughs> they had no idea either. Yeah, no they? idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. And uh, yeah, although it doesn't seems like politics hasn't changed much over the years. Well, there's that. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, um. I'm sorry. We we got off on a tangent yeah, there. No. I'm sorry. Oh no problem. Um. So a Fifteenth Amendment has passed. <laughs> yes, yes. And at least in Wisconsin, it's a little bit easier to vote. Um, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, yeah. Fifteenth Amendment has passed. It wouldn't be it'd be like for almost another hundred years until the uh, Voting Rights right Act of nineteen sixty five is passed, which really um, took care of some of the problems you're talking about, outlawing the literacy tests and the poll taxes and just uh a lot of shenanigans that were taking place, you know, in, in parts of the country, you know, predominantly in the South. In fact, um, uh, what's debated uh, nowadays is the clearance where some of the, some of the states that were, you know, the, um, the federal government come down with a law, they'd find a way to uh, backdoor the law. And so the federal government finally said, okay, enough is enough. From now on, um, if you meet a certain category before you make any voting change, it has to be approved by the uh, U.S. government. So we, um, so 1866, we can have black voters. Did yeah. that, and did that bring any, I mean, did that, well, of course, that was country, across the yeah. country mm-hmm. that the, the amendment took place, but um, did that draw people to Wisconsin? No, uh, mainly jobs, mainly jobs, you know, um, uh, Caucasians and African-Americans were uh, coming to Wisconsin for jobs. Even at this time, um, the African-American influence was still rather small. Um, There was probably uh, in the 18, about about the 1880s, there were about 300 African-Americans in the uh, city of Milwaukee by about 1910. That number had increased to about 980 African Americans, but to put it in perspective, I believe at the time there were uh, 450,000 um, Caucasians, and so it was still, as far as uh, voting 
power and the ability to uh, influence um, elections or city planning. It just wasn't there for African-Americans. They did have the right to vote, but, you know, the numbers were so small as a group that, you know, they could all vote for the same candidate and and, and, and not very well succeed. Scratch the surface. So, but, but, it, but mainly the uh, migration, um, a lot of African-Americans came from the South and look and you know looking for better opportunities you know and then when the manufacturing um, began you saw just you know droves of uh, African Americans coming from you know the South and residing in Milwaukee, Chicago, Detroit, Indiana uh, for, for jobs for the families. And um, you know here we saw a large growth into the point where in like the 1920s we had a sizable uh, group of African Americans living here uh, and and locally that's when you saw the uh, start of the Milwaukee branch NAACP the National Association for the Advancement of Color People around the 1920s you also had the uh, Milwaukee Urban League um, began around uh, 1919 1920 to um, you know uh, to, to provide some guidance and assistance for African-Americans, set, uh, you know, uh, settling here. And then also in 1924, you had uh, Artie and Wilbur uh, Halyard started the first bank for African-Americans, the Columbia Savings and Loan Association, which is uh, still in existence today. Now, we had talked, uh, again, we had talked briefly at, uh, off the air when we were getting ready to do this about, and, and it kind of comes up to um, earlier in an earlier podcast with Tony Shields, who's yeah, the sure. executive director at Uncom, and talking about settlement houses and, and mm -hmm. communities and how uh, people would settle together. Sure, absolutely. absolutely. Um, and, and again, and Milwaukee still has its traditional, you know, it's, it's funny because it, it seems like, you know, um, it has its traditional or had its traditional neighborhoods. You had a German neighborhood, you had the Italian neighborhood yes. down the Lower East Side mm -hmm. on the edge of the city. Um, you had your Polish section. Um, was there a an area where the Af where African Americans, you know, in in, in at the turn of the century, um, where their where their community was? Was there a a kind of a boundary an area? <laughs> yes, yes, it, it was it was an area where African Americans. Um, were predominantly located, and it was it's actually a thriving area. Um, it was called Bronzeville, and the, the parameters were uh, roughly uh, North Avenue to the north, uh, State Street to the south, uh, to Third Street to the east, and Twelfth uh, Street on the uh, west. And that's where um, a majority of uh, African Americans live. I think as many as uh, seventy. Uh, Eight percent of the African Americans in the community lived in that area. Okay, so on yeah. the north northern edge, well, it was pretty much the northern edge of the city at that. Absolutely, time. absolutely, um, absolutely. Now, now remember at this time also that there was uh, you know open uh, discrimination and as far as housing. So, um, so you have the two factors where people tend to want to uh, live where they're comfortable, and a lot of times that's with people that that look like them, sound like them, dress like them. Uh, behave like them. And so you have, you know, some of that still exists uh, today and uh, unfortunately in, in, in our city where you have Germans living together, the Irish live together, you know, African-Americans live together. And it wasn't until later where we saw some integration taking place. But uh, Brownsville was its own thriving community. Oh, yeah. It, it oh, had yeah. its own businesses that were owned and run by African-Americans. Yes. 
uh, businesses, uh, doctors, um, uh, lawyers, uh, retail um, outlets, um, personal care facilities. You know, yeah, it, it was a thriving, a thriving business. Center. So it was its own yeah. thriving neighborhood. Absolutely, and, and, uh, and listeners can you know even you know Google or. Uh, you know, Bronzeville is what it was called, or you can even go down to the uh, Wisconsin has an African American historical um, museum uh, headed up by Claiborne Benson on I think I believe that's Center Street. Okay. There's a lot of this information. Yeah. So yeah. So primarily it was the area um, which the old Park East Freeway was. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know? and, exactly. And where MATC is today, um, uh, downtown branch, and uh, and which it's funny because that whole area is going through its own. Like third gener, third and fourth and fifth generation of renewal now. Oh, absolutely, you know, um, absolutely. Down there, yeah, we see a lot of. Uh, well, MATC just uh, well, they just bought out that. Uh, oh, that was that one for profit college that uh, built oh, and then Strayer or was it Stratton? Stratton? No, no, it wasn't the Strayer. I, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah but on yeah. the corner of Sixth and, and McKinley there. Exactly. And uh, MATC is exactly. now in there. Okay. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, where the old Parkies Freeway was. Yeah. Um, was was that community of Bronzeville? So. Absolutely, absolutely, uh. absolutely. And then, and then you know, the African American population continued to um, grow, and um, as I said, you know, th th there was some open discrimination back then, and as the uh, population grew, you know, you know, there were some growing pains. You know, um, like we talked about one housing. Um, you know, there's open housing discrimination, you know, um, you know, uh, realtors would openly discriminate and not show African-Americans um, places in in predominantly white areas. You know, around the same time, we had uh, our first uh, African-American elected uh, city official. In fact, uh, it was Vel Phillips. Uh, she actually became in 1956. Avell Phillips became the uh, first African American and the uh, first woman to be um, elected to the Milwaukee Common Council. And in about 1962, she put forth the uh, first open housing, and uh, introduced the legislation for the um, first open housing ordinance in the uh, city of Milwaukee, which failed and it was defeated on numerous occasions, but it started the uh, movement to uh, really um, integrate Milwaukee or, or, or have Milwaukee open to the concept that people can live uh, where they want to live regardless of race. And then in the probably uh, mid-1960s, uh, 67 or so, she joined forces with uh, Father Grappi mm -hmm. and the uh, NAACP Youth Council for the historical uh, open housing marches where, you know, all summer they marched from the north side which was predominantly black at the time, to the uh, south side, which was uh, predominantly white. And, you know, they, they met with lots of resistance, but um, they made it known that it was time to, uh, you know, treat people um, well, as human beings. As human beings, <laughs> as human beings. And, uh, and then later on, of course, we, we had the, uh, the federal government pass the Fair Housing Act. And um, after that, the Milwaukee Common Council passed the Open Housing Ordinance. Now, one thing I'm looking at some of the numbers you've got here as far as populations, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and I guess I find it for being a free state, for being yeah. somewhat progressive, mm -hmm. um, for being 
an industrial center, you know, not as big as Detroit or that area. Um, uh, population has, you know, I mean, it's been less than, for, for a lot of, uh, pretty much up till recently, yeah. has been less than 10% of the overall makeup of the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's taken some substantial jumps. Uh, well, two things have happened. Um, one, we, we, you've had a lot of people leave the city, and and, and, and the reasons for that will take a, you know an entirely an, another uh, program. <laughs> but you, uh, the, the Milwaukee's population has in has decreased from like a I think the high of like maybe a seven hundred, uh, you know, seven hundred plus thousand people to now where we're probably just under. Uh, six hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the African American population ha- has grown uh, steadily to where now, where I, I gave you numbers, where and we're in nineteen uh, ten, we were African Americans are like nine hundred and eighty of a population of uh, four hundred and fifty seven thousand. Whereas today, the uh, African Americans probably make up the largest uh, racial group in the city of Milwaukee at about forty percent. I think uh, Caucasians are now about thirty seven percent. Yeah, with the Latinos uh, making up majority of the the rest of that. So yeah, we've seen qu- uh, quite some uh, demographic change in the uh, city of Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. So currently, um, well, we're talking about the '60s and the '70s. Um, yeah. How? What? What kind of fate? Uh, what? What is your outlook, or what do you see? Um, as as a future for the oh. for African Americans here in Milwaukee. Oh, um, you know, I'm an internal optimist. Um and so I, I always tell people when you think of Milwaukee, like you know, there's been some hiccups you know, along this road. Mm-hmm. But I've always said that we have a, a proud past. You know, have there been issues? Yes. But then we go back to our beginnings where, you know, um, we've been fairly progressive at, at many times in our uh, history, you know, slow to uh, to uh, come to pace and other issues, but overall, I think we have a proud past here in Wisconsin and in particular Milwaukee, and I think our future is uh, promising. I mean, um, right now we, we we've gone all the way from you know where Joe Oliver in uh, eighteen thirty five cast the first ballot to now where we have um, an African American uh, representative of Congress. Um, we're we're in a place now where probably the um, uh, we'll probably in our lifetime see an African-American mayor in the city of Milwaukee. We, we have, um, you know, um, a greater percentage of African-American candidates in the on the Common Council and on the uh, county board than pr- probably unprecedented numbers as far as I know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so uh, politically, you know, we're looking um, uh, fairly strong and fairly posed uh, uh for, for the future as far as uh, having being if not being able to elect uh, candidates of African-American descent, more importantly, being able to influence uh, candidates, which I think it, it may be even more important to, to be able to uh, select to have influence on whom you select because not everyone of African-American descent may even have the best interests of African-Americans in mind. But uh, having that ability to have a say, and and a larger say, and and who's going to represent you? I think is 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 key. And going forward, I think that's going to be great. And then also, I think what's key for not only African Americans but for the community as one. I see us coming together as a community. I see some of these old uh, barriers um, being dismantled. I I um, I always tell people. 
that, you know, the more we come together as community, the stronger we're going to be. You know, when we start living with people and uh, communicating with people that don't look like us, uh, don't act like us, may not dress like us, we'll see that we have more in common than we uh, have, um, we, we have more in common than, than, than not. Um, you know, I tell people all the time that whether you live on the east side, west side, north side, south side, whether you're uh, African-American, Caucasian, Latino, a lot of the core values and interests are the same. We all want what's best for our children. We all want what's best for our families. We all want safe neighborhoods. We all want good schools. We all want a prosperous future. And sometimes uh, uh we don't realize that because we're not communicating with each other. So I think in the future, as we continue to uh, dismantle some of these barriers that keep us uh, in fear of each other and keep us separated from each other, that not only is going to be a promising future for uh, African-Americans in, in, in the city, but also it's going to make us a, a stronger uh, city. Two things you mentioned. Yep. Um, which I guess I thought about it a little bit last night because I was – putting together some notes yep. for, for this morning. Yeah. Um, Milwaukee has never had an African-American mayor. No, I, I believe we're probably the, um, and don't quote me on this, I, I believe in before Congresswoman uh, Moore was elected, we were the city with the largest percentage of African-Americans without a African-American representative and without an African-American mayor. We were the, uh, the place in um, the country. Yeah. So n not a great distinction that you want to well, have necessarily, but... Yeah, what well, is what it is. You know. um, what does that speak to? Is that, I guess, studying history, looking at things that can get accomplished. Yes. And and we'll talk. Um, um, again, I'm going to double back to Rosa Parks and the boycott, bus yeah. boycott. Okay, um, what they were able to do there mm -hmm. 50 years ago. Yes. Uh, before some of the federal regulations, some of the federal sure. laws. Um, is there is is there just not the mobilization of the African Americans, the focus on it in Milwaukee? Um, are they is are they are there factions within the African American community? And I've always tried not to talk politics on yeah, the show, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but it it seems like with the the available mindset, um, you can pretty much like you said, we can accomplish anything. Yep. Um, with the exception, and and again, you can quote minister with the exception of. Sheriff David Clark. Yes, have we even had a viable black candidate for mayor? Have we, or has there always been a sacrificial lamb? I mean, well, you know, I mean, Ralph Nader runs for president yeah, every four sure, years, sure. and ain't gonna make yeah. it. Yeah, well, we came, we came very close. Um, well, the African American community came very close with with uh, Marvin Pratt uh, uh, when he ran against uh, Mayor Barrett. You know, Mayor Barrett had 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 uh, served as a uh, congressperson for, for most of the city, if not all of the city, well-respected, um, had a pretty good record as when it came to issues of importance mm -hmm. to African-Americans. And, um, but, but, uh, Ma but Mayor Pratt at the time, you know, ran a strong campaign, came just short. There was a lot of 
polarization that um, took place, you know, where a lot of African-Americans did vote for the black candidate. A lot of Caucasians did vote for the white candidate. I'm not sure that that would be the uh, case. Now, I, th I think Milwaukee has changed a bit. And also, um, you know, 10 years has made a big difference. You yeah. know, you know, we didn't have uh, African-Americans did not make up 40 percent of the uh, population and probably, uh, you know, I'm sure at least a third of the voting population now. And so those changes are, like, like I said, I, um, are, are pointing towards African-Americans having a, uh, a great influence over uh, who will be the next mayor of the uh, city of Milwaukee. Now, does that mean it will be a, uh, a uh, African-American, a Caucasian, a Latino? Who knows? But the important thing is the African-Americans will have a great voice in deciding who that person may be. It, it, it may be the case that an African-American is not the best uh, candidate for mayor in the future. You never know. But the important thing, like I said, is having the influence to be able to select that person is what's key. With, um, again, we was uh, one of the one of the things we mentioned is Black History Month. Yes, but Black history is part of American history. Yes, um, you've done some research. I've done some research. Mm -hmm. um, if people are more interested in this, yes, want to delve deeper into it, what resources are currently out there uh, for everyone to yeah. to learn? Learn our history, and especially our history as a uh, a city, and 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 the influence that uh, African Americans have had on our city. Yeah, well, um, locally, I would say the uh, best places would be uh, the African American uh, Wisconsin Historical uh, Museum. I, I I wish I could find the uh, correct name. And then there's also the Milwaukee County Historical um, the, the Historical Society downtown. Yeah, downtown. You know, is a wealth of information, and um, see on the internet, I found a uh, wealth of information on the uh, internet, and it's quite fascinating uh, information. And so I'd recommend those as uh, two starting points or well, three starting points. The uh, Wisconsin Historical Center downtown, the African-American uh, Historical Museum of Wisconsin, which you just give me one second. I can probably. Uh... Like that. Uh, Claiborne Benson has just done a miraculous job with the... Uh, now, what kind of support has he gotten for that? Not enough. Not enough. He, he gets some uh, grants, but um, not enough. And he's, you know, he's been doing that for a while. It's, I'm trying to find its location. Um, he's the executive director of the Wisconsin Black History Society. Yes, yes. And the museum, I'm trying to find a location for the yeah, museum. I'm trying to find that also yeah. for you. <laughs> okay. Um, so that, obviously yeah, it's a nonprofit it, it, organization. Is yeah, he a one-man show? Does he have support from the community? Is he... He has support from the community, but I think he pretty much runs things uh, by himself. And the location is 2620 
West Center Street uh, here in Milwaukee, uh, 53206. And the uh, phone number is, uh, can I get the phone number? Uh, why not? Okay, uh, 414-372-7677. This, this, this is the internet, Henry. We can do anything we want. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and I talked to a lot of people, you know, in the past. I've been involved on issues in the past, but um, between, um, you know, Tabor Vincent, and, of course, my mom, uh, Jerry Ann Hamilton, a former president of uh, the NAACP, um, their, uh, the knowledge of their, uh, of the, uh, how do I say this? Th those are two individuals, I think, that ha have the most depth of knowledge of uh, African-American history uh, local he here in Milwaukee and in the state of Wisconsin. Those would be my top two sources. And then, of course, you have the Wisconsin the Milwaukee County Historical Center downtown, and like I said, the internet. There's I found a wealth of information. Right. Now, now Claiborne Benson was part of that that march we talked about, um, okay, with Val Phillips. I believe so. I um, believe so. So we'll get a little bit personal now. Uh, your family history in Milwaukee. Okay. Um, uh, your parents were are both from down south. Is that yeah? Correct? Yeah, my dad's from. Alabama, my mom from Mississippi, and they came up, you know, like I said, when people were coming up looking for jobs and, uh, you know, the great, you know. So when, when did they come up? Uh, 1958. 58. So, 58. They, so yeah. they were still experiencing down south some of those voting restrictions. The, oh, the church, oh. you know, I mean, and again, we talked, yeah. it was not a proud time no, um, no, for, no. for this country uh, yeah. and the treatment of African Americans. Yeah. So they have firsthand knowledge, I would imagine, of the, the awful things that were happening at the time. Yes, 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 yes. Well, I, I remember going to the South even in the uh, 70s and um, where it was against the law to, uh, you know, have segregated facilities. I, I remember still... Um, going to towns where it was still customary for blacks to enter the, um, the through the back buildings, uh, through the back of a restaurant and the whites, there wasn't a section, there wasn't a sign that said whites only, but the local community knew that, hey, the federal government ain't here to protect you, you know, go to the back <laughs> of the door. <laughs> now, as a, as a young man, did that shock you? Was that was it a shock to you? Did you find it foreign? I mean, yeah, 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 were... yeah, it was kind of shocking. And, and, and my dad, when we went down there, he, he refused, you know, like, like, if, we, if that's the case, we're not going to eat in this town. So he refused. But no, you know, there were still issues, you know, because although the uh, laws were in place, some of the attitudes hadn't changed. And so even in the South, where you could uh, have the right to vote, if you lived in a community, there are some communities where, yeah, you had the right to vote, but the blacks better not be out walking around on Election Day or you're going to be in trouble from the local sheriff. <laughs> Or, for instance, um, let's say someone did decide to exercise their right to vote. You know, you know, let's say that you know someone did. Well, that's fine. They may be protected. But you got to understand. You got family members that don't own their homes. You know, have to pay rent to landlords or may have been sharecroppers. So you may have been okay, but all of a sudden you find out your sister or your brother lost their job because you voted, or, or. You lost your land or, or some uncle lost his land because you decided to exercise your right to vote. So although the laws were in place, some of the uh, attitudes had not changed for many years. And then um, the laws were enforceable, but there were other ways to intimidate people from uh, not voting or where they might live or even where they might send their, their kids to a school. And like I said, we're, we're slowly dismantling many of those barriers, where now I go to the South, and it's quite pleasurable, actually. Okay. So well, I, um, I say that it's been zero degrees outside right now. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're still suffering from yeah. polar vortex in February. Okay. So, oh, yeah. um, 
So part of the reason your parents came uh, came north to Wisconsin uh, was for work. Absolutely. I think the majority of African Americans traveled up north okay. for work. Yeah. Um, were they pleasantly surprised? They, I don't, and again, I don't know how they speak of it. Were they pleasantly surprised? I mean, obviously not an ideal world, still yeah. 1960. Yeah. You know, and like I said, we're talking about the marches in 62 and 63 here yeah. in Milwaukee. Um, but were they. Was there a relief, a sense of release, a place, okay, now we can start a family because it's a place where we feel comfortable? Do they, do they ever they, mention, was there a change? I mean. Yeah, well, they've stayed here for, you know, 50 years, 50 plus years. Okay. You know, I've, uh, I never heard, yeah, yeah, okay. we've enjoyed it here. We, okay. We've enjoyed it here. I, w- I wouldn't have met Steve Italiano. Oh, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> and you might be better off for it. Yeah. Oh, hey, no, hey, no. Of course, you wouldn't know what a Long Island iced tea is either, Well, there's so. that, there's that, there's that. <laughs> we'll tell that story sometime. Yeah. All right. Um, well, Henry, I appreciate you coming on today. Well, thank uh, you for having um, me. I always enjoy. I, we, I always enjoy a conversation with you. So, Thanks. anytime you want to do this is great. And I appreciate you coming on, um, giving us a background and and, and talking uh, Black History and Black History Month, yeah. um, and the history of Milwaukee and African Americans. Okay. Um, any other? Um, now, I know some of your resource materials here. I'm looking at uh, <laughs> that you brought with you. Yeah. Um, any other resource materials people might look for? Well, well yeah, if people are interested in uh, learning more about Bronzeville. There was a uh, book printed uh, not too many years ago entitled "A Bronzeville: A Milwaukee Lifestyle: A Historical uh, Overview" by uh, Ivory Mabina um, Black. Uh, she's a cultural uh, anthropologist, and this should be available at the local library or maybe even on, uh, you know, Amazon. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, fantastic. Henry, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Steve. Like I said, thank you for on two accounts. One, for um, having enough uh, love for your city uh, to uh, want to do this uh, podcast, which is, uh, you know, talking about positive things about Milwaukee. And then secondly, for, uh, you know, um, giving me time for uh, Black History Month. Well, Appreciate that's, it. You know, we'll, like I said, well, uh, anytime you want to come on, it's okay. uh, it's wonderful. Like I said, we shouldn't probably limit this to just February, but uh, okay. hopefully uh, this, this uh, like I said, this will be on the uh, the podcast is always available, uh, always in the archives. So even if you're listening to this uh, next winter and it's, uh, you know, next, next November or the middle of summer, um, keep in mind that um, – you know, black history just didn't happen in February, I guess. So, there you go. Uh, yeah. That it is it is a history of our city yeah. and, and of our country. So, yeah. Henry, thanks again for showing up. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Uh, again, the housekeeping. If um, if you're listening to us on iTunes, please, please give us a positive rating. Uh, makes people uh, makes us easier to find for other people and uh, hopefully increases our listenership. Um, you can contact us if you have any questions. Um, contact us. Um, through the email or comment section on our website, listenupmke at dot podbean.com, uh, or direct email to me, um, listenupmke at yahoo.com. Uh, we are on Twitter at listenupmke on Twitter, and uh, follow us on Facebook where um, you'll find out when new episodes come up. Otherwise, uh, subscribe to the podcast, and when they're available, they'll come out. Again, we're going to be doing this a little bit more regularly. Um, this is our uh, second episode of the new year. Um, and again, as uh, I had explained, we had a short hiatus, but there will be more regular podcasts. Uh, goal here is to do them bi-monthly. And by bi-monthly, I mean twice a month, not no, bi-monthly. Yeah, not every two months. 
I think that means that also. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Steve Italiano, saying good night, and thanks for listening. All right, thanks. I've got to make one quick phone call.